Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. So glad you're here. You know, we're, we're reaching the end of our work in Alba Alamillo's book, The Dark Side of the Mind. And, and right in the middle here is two or three chapters on self-esteem. I'm going to start with the joke today, but I need to set it up a little bit. I researched for about two hours trying to find a joke about self-esteem that I actually thought was funny. (laughs) And you know what? I was not actually successful. So to make up for it, I'm going to tell you two really lousy ones. And And then we'll discuss why they're so bad as punishment. All right, so, so first of all, the old, I, well, you know, it's about self-esteem, so punishment has to be involved somehow. So, so first of all, the oldest joke on the planet, the man goes to the psychiatrist and says, you know, I have really self, low self-esteem, and I hope you can help me. I mean, I'm depressed most of the time. People pass over me for, for employment opportunities. I, I don't really, I don't even feel like I can go on a job interview anymore. I'm unemployed. I'm unloved. Uh, life is really terrible. Is there something you can do to help me with my self-esteem? And the, the psychiatrist says, well, I think so. You know, we have, a, we have a program for this. We can work on this. There's some affirmations we can do. There's some, uh, some work you can do in journaling. Um, we'll talk to you about doing some reality-based check-in, uh, check-ins on, on, on really what's going on in your life compared to how you view your life and so on. And the man goes, that... That is great. How long do you think this is going to take? And the psychiatrist says, mm, gosh, eight, nine, maybe ten months. For a loser like you, this could take a while. <laughs> so, see, not really that funny, is it? All right. So here, though, was the funniest of the unfunny jokes. Two identical pieces of string walk into a bar. The bartender growls, we don't serve your kind in here. Get the hell out. On the way out, one piece of string starts crying. I told you how fat I am. I'm so fat, they kicked us out of this bar. Don't be silly, says the other piece of string. There goes your low self-esteem again. You're string. You're naturally thin. The string continues. No, I'm afraid it's my tuftiness. You've noticed how tufty my strands are. The minute we walked into the bar, he was eyeing my strands. He took one look at me and said... He's twine. Now, why, (laughs) other than maybe I'm not the best storyteller in the world, why why are these jokes about self-esteem really of questionable funniness? It's because we're kicking the underdog, right? No one wants to see someone who is already about as low as they can go get the shaft. It makes sense, doesn't it? And yet, self-esteem is something that plagues 85% of Americans. So a study out just this last year from the American Psychology Association, 85% of Americans will suffer from low self-esteem at some times in their lives. A more recent study even puts things into, um, I think, a more 
personal focus in a way, a focus that really is disturbing. Seven in 10 girls in high school believe that they will not be able to reach their potential in terms of job or, or what comes after high school because they are not smart enough or not pretty enough. Seven out of 10 high school girls think they are losers. Does this trouble you? This is really disturbing. These are the people that are gonna be coming out in the world to make their mark, and they don't feel that they have a mark to make. A 2003 study has shown that low self-esteem is correlated with a number of negative outcomes in life, such as lower income levels and depression. A 2001 study showed that people with low self-esteem more troubled by negative events and tended to actually exaggerate their impact. So not only did they have low self-esteem, but if something negative happened, they actually would play it larger than life to see themselves more at fault or, or more troubled by it than they actually were. A 2010 study showed that people with low self-esteem will tend to focus on their mistakes rather than a control group of people with average self-esteem would focus in the same situation on their growth, improvement, and finding opportunities. This is troubling. Now, how do you think this starts? Do you think that, that one day, a, you know, a, I don't know, a 12-year-old girl just woke up and said, today I'm worthless? See, I don't think so. And, and Alba Amarillo in this book, I think gives us a good idea of why this happens. She calls it the cumulative effect. And, and very simply, it starts with the smallest of things. It may be something that you notice in yourself. It may be something that a, a parent or a friend tells you. It could be as simple as, uh, uh, as telling your nine-year-old nephew, you know, we need to practice your softball a little bit better. You're a little on the clumsy side. Let's, let's work out uh, and, and we'll overcome this, right? A very good intention kind of thing. But what might the young Perkinson focus on? Um, clumsy, not that the kindly uncle wants to help, not that this is easy to overcome, right? That's the intent of the giver of the message, but what gets received, right? You're clumsy, you're not pretty, you're not smart, you're not capable, right? From those tiny seeds though, guess what happens? It's the cumulative effect, we start building on them. We begin actively noticing things that match up with it. So even if I'm not particularly clumsy, I will notice the one time that I stumble on that last step of the stairway, and I will use that to reinforce in my own mind, my uncle was right. I really am clumsy, aren't I? And then they'll notice that I had trouble getting my locker open, that I was fiddling with it. And it just cumulatively, piece by piece by piece, as I'm seeking out things, because if you think about it, right? We're human beings, we will always make mistakes. We'll always have a moment of, uh, of whatever it is, from the bad hair day to the, uh, the bad thought day to, to whatever it is, we'll always make mistakes. And if we begin painting the picture of who we are based on the mistakes, oh my gosh. 
Now, the cumulative effect was best identified in 1961 by a study, and it's pretty frightening. I'll tell you about it. It's famous. You may already know it. Um, a, a psychologist took a group of university students and paid them, they were told, to uh, uh, administer minimal electric shocks to people for getting the wrong answers on a test. And the idea, what they told the students participating was, you know, this is a very mild electric shock. They actually gave it to the students, right? And it just kind of tingled their skin a little bit. It was enough so that you could feel there was some electricity there. And they were told that this was a study to determine how mild negative feedback might improve memory skills. And so that they would be told when a student in another room, of course, the other room doesn't exist, right? This was about the person administering administering the shock. No one was actually getting a shock, but they were told that someone in the other room had, had uh, got the wrong answer again. Would you please administer the shock? Well, the one group was told, uh, was told, okay, now set the dial, because there was a little dial that went from one to 10 and a button, and the one on the dial was in green, and it, as it moved up two, three, four, five through 10, the colors progressed. So first it was green, then it was yellow, then it was orange. Number 10, bright blood red. One group was told, well, put the dial on number 10 and give them a shot. No one would do it. To their credit, no one would do it. Guess how the rest of the experiment went? The other group was told to put the dial on number one, which was the mild electric shock that they could barely feel, and they were said to administer the shock. Everyone did it. Then they were told, oh, the student has made a few right answers, but now they've made another wrong one. Uh, maybe we should try moving it up a notch. Would you put it on number two and administer the shock? So they put it on two, and all of them administered the shock. So the trial progressed. Guess what percentage got all the way up to 10? 70% of the students, through the gradual effect, right? No one would do it in the beginning. <laughs> but little by little, we can inch ourselves into believing that anything is possible. This is how we begin to have a bad opinion about ourselves. No one woke up one morning and said, I'm useless and terrible, but one morning we did wake up and start collecting evidence about that. And little by little, we built a case in our own mind from the people around us, from our schoolmates, from our teachers, from our parents, but mostly from ourselves, that there are areas in our life that we're just terrible at. That we're either not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not strong enough, we're not smart enough, we're not old enough, we're, we're not young enough, <laughs> right? Remember the, the joke, the two identical pieces of string, right? They were identical. One thought it was too fat, the other one too tufty, right? It has no bearing on reality. We will come up with ideas of who we are that are often substandard and simply not true. So how do we begin to reverse this? You know, this is a, it's endemic in our society, and I wish I, I, wish I could say there was a, an instant way to, uh, to alleviate this problem, but 
we can actually use this cumulative effect to our benefit. And uh, Amarillo, in her excellent book, The Dark Side of the Mind, uh, has a, a self-esteem workout for us. And it's in your program. Uh, we don't need to go through it. It's actually, as you can maybe guess, it's your homework. Um, <laughs> spilling the beans there. But there are a couple things I want to talk to you just in general about it. Um, I've listed them in the order that she listed them in the book. But you know what? It's not actually my recommended order. I think it would be useful to do some of the easy things first. And so I would call your attention to number 10. Say thank you when you're complimented is a great, great place to start. How many people here actually take a compliment? All right, you say you do. I'm, I'm visually remembering every one of your faces, and I'm gonna test you later, because I did a little preliminary testing as people were coming in, and I was complimenting people on their jewelry, and their blouses, and their skirts, and their hair, and the whole nine yards, and only about one out of 10 people actually said, thank you. The other nine people said, oh, this came from Goodwill, or, uh, well, it helps when I wash my hair, or, <laughs> right? The other nine people deflected that compliment. So you may even think you take a compliment. I wonder if it's actually true and I'll be testing you. So, so let, that's just one of the things we can do to begin using that incremental theory of the way our mind works to be building up our self-esteem. Yes, I am worthy of a compliment. So at home tonight, I'd like you to look over the list, and the reason I'm suggesting maybe even work your way up from the bottom is that number one is probably the hardest. Number one is, ask, is asking you to monitor your own thoughts about yourself. Most of us are not used to doing that. Most of us are not plugged in well enough to our own self-talk that that will come easily. So I recommend doing some of the easy things first. Learn how to take a compliment. Learn how to maybe adjust to some of our listening habits so that we're not playing the sad country western songs all the time <laughs> on the radio. All of those messages coming in our brain about how love is gone and not even my horse loves me. All, all of the, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I mean there are beautiful country western songs too. I'm just using that as a, as a kind of a joke, but, but I would ask you, you know, is the music you're listening to, that's something that's coming in at you all the time. You've got the, the stereo on or, or listening to things. Is it the message about you, about your life, about your love, about your capabilities that is reinforcing what you want to be, or is it telling you the opposite? So anyway, look over the list. I think it is a, an excellent way of dealing with low self-esteem in the world. But you know what? I'm not so much into the world, being a minister and all. I'm more interested in your spirits. And so I think we ought to do the kind of one-two punch on this one. The, the, the two, um, the way to do it in the world, Alamilo has listed out really well for us, and we can, we can use that. But I would also like to suggest that God simply doesn't make a mess. That God's creative power is in itself, in its, uh, in its uh, intuition, perfect. 
So when we look out in the night sky, do we quibble with how many stars we can see? Probably not. Do we, we look out into the ocean and say, you know, if the waves were a little smoother today, it would be better? I don't think so. God's creation in their inception is perfect, and you are one of God's creations. So God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make a mess. Each one of us is here for a unique reason, just like you wouldn't want to turn out one of those stars in the night sky. The Milky Way is perfect, and it needs them all. So we need each one of you in this constellation of humanity. Each person here has a role to play. Each person here, a reason to be on the planet. Each person here, through singing our individual song of who we are, are necessary. And anything that covers that up is just our own misinformation. It's just our our own not believing in ourselves. It's our own, if you will, low self-esteem on a spiritual note. So I would also like to propose something else that we do for homework. And on the back of your sheet is one of Ernest Holmes' perhaps most uh, famous quotes and prayers. And I'm going to read it through once. And then when I read it through a second time, I would like you to join me with it. And uh, all together, we're going to read it four times. I'll read it once, and then let's read it together three times more. So there is one life, that life is God, That life is perfect. That life is my life now. There is only one life. That life is God. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. There is only one life. That life is God. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. There is only one life. That life is God. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. This is the truth of who we are. Now, it may be that we have covered that up. It may be through our own um, misinformation, through us uh, trying to find evidence of lack or limitation or insufficiency. We may have told ourselves a different story, Some of the people closest to us on this planet may have given us hints to the contrary of that. And I would just tell you it's time to stand up what's true on a spiritual level. You are perfect. Now, you may make mistakes in the physical world. Don't get me wrong. And and mistakes are actually good. They help us on our our quest for, for what comes next. They help us to understand better of who we are and what the planet's like. And that's okay. But... It doesn't describe who we are. Our mistakes are just things that we have done. Always ready to be done differently. Always ready to have a different choice. Always ready to have something new and improved. You, the essence of you, is whole, is perfect, is loving, is joyous, We are a part of the infinite. God is all of these things. You know, in any of the the great uh, manuscripts on the planet, any of the um, spiritual books that we read, we hear about God as, uh, as love, God is joy, God is peace, God is the abundance of all things, God is the, the peace that, that path is, uh, you know, all, all of the, the, the great scriptures in the world talk about these things as God, and then they say, 
that God created us in God's image. So we, too, are intrinsically those things. It's simply the truth of who we are. And my belief is, if we stand up for that truth, if we stand in our authentic power, our self-esteem is not an issue anymore. We recognize exactly who we are as a divine being. Well, I'm going to close today, of course, with a prayer, but I also want to close with an invitation. You know, we talk about our licensed practitioners here every week in terms of being available for prayer, and uh, uh, sometimes I've encouraged you to take your programs home so you'll, you'll have their emails and phone numbers with you in case something comes up. But I don't know that I've actually said in a really long time why you would want to do that. Sometimes you cannot see the truth about your own self. Sometimes because of faulty information that has come your way or, or information that you've created on your own, you really think you are loveless or, or that there's something wrong with you. And sometimes just to ask you to flip that switch and believe something different is pretty hard. Our licensed practitioners know the difference. Our licensed practitioners specifically are trained to see the spiritual in the midst of the physical. So you may come to them with a bankruptcy, you may come to them with an illness, they will see the abundance of the universe. They will recognize your birthright as being whole and perfect and healthy. So when you see yourselves as anything less than the perfection that, that's guaranteed through God itself, if you're having trouble flipping that around, that's, that's when you call a practitioner. You don't wait for your birthday. <laughs> they're, here, they're here every Sunday. In fact, in a little bit, I'll be asking them to come up for uh, those who are available for our One Minute Miracle. You take advantage of that because that's why we're here. We, we know the truth. We can know the spiritual truth of what's going on in your lives. All right, well, I'm gonna close with a prayer. There is one power... There's one joy, there's one life, there's one love, there's only one thing. And what I know about this one thing, this thing that I call God, is that it is everything. It is every person, every place, everything, every situation. All, all that is, is of God. And God creates perfection. God is love so therefore I know that I am love. God is joy, so therefore I know there is joy for me to have. God is the infinity of the universe, therefore I know that my life is abundant. Everything that God is, I take ownership for on the personal level. I raise my esteem to know that it is for me to be and to have. And as it is true for me, it is true for everyone on this planet, everyone in this room. Everyone here has that ability to claim the spiritual truth of the power, the joy, the love, the abundance, the peace, the health, the perfection that is God. This is the truth for each one of us, that there is one life, that life is God's life, that life is perfect. That life is my life now. I'm grateful for this. 
I'm grateful for the power and presence of God showing up every day, every week as the people in this very room, grateful for life itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.